Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Later on, I'll be joined by a dear friend that I've known for many years. A man who traded seeds from Essex to East Germany back when you paid people in cement. It's Anthony Andrews. My thanks to Sutton Seeds, sponsors of this week's podcast. And to Charlie Jones, my producer. Thanks, Charlie. Our congratulations this week to Ellswick Village up in Lancashire. Uh, They've been awarded Champion of Champions in the 53rd Britain in Bloom competition, dubbed the Village of Flowers. They've won the top prize in the UK-wide competition and the report says with stunning front gardens and business premises. So thanks everybody at Ellswick for bringing some colour and excitement into people's lives. I was interested too to read that Planters Garden Centre opened their pumpkin paddock recently with story time for children, broomstick flying, I've no idea what broomstick flying is, and pumpkin carving. A great success apparently, they sold 1,900 pumpkins compared to just 100 last year, so there must be some excitement about pumpkins And the local MP, Craig Tracy, he went and said that he'll be bringing his dog to their Santa Paws Day. What on earth is a Santa Paws Day? (laughs) These people and their pets, eh? What's in the news? Well, Tom Ogren from California was lead speaker at the recent Barcham's Trees Symposium. Tom is one of the leading authorities in the field of allergen allergenic plants, sorry about that, yeah. You know, those people who have hay fever and things have allergies to plants and their impact on people. He devised what is called the OPALS, O-P-A-L-S, Ogren Plant Allergy Scale, now used by the likes of the American Lung Association. His scale measures the allergy potential of all garden plants within a range from 1 to 10. For example, the red-leaved Acer Rubrum Autumn Glow is very low, rated number 1, while the bottle brush, Calistemon, is rated number 9. You can get more information on this in Tom's book, Safe Sex in the Garden. Female trees, of course, produce no pollen, so uh, there isn't an allergy problem for hay fever sufferers with the female plants. There's also a lot of worry about glyphosate, the uh, weed killer that is very widely used right around the Western world. And the European Commission has dropped its proposal for a 10-year licence extension 
for glyphosate after the European Parliament called for the weed killer to be phased out in the next five years. If you happen to have some Japanese knotweed in the garden, well, then I suggest you get it treated right away before they take away what is our best means of control. Actually, if you can cut the knotweed off so it's got about 6 or 12 inches at this time of the year and pour a little weed killer into those hollow stems, it goes right down and knocks out the root. Best of all, some of that weed killer sits there and when the plant starts to grow again in the spring, it gets a second whammy. Pretty useful stuff if you've got that very difficult weed. My timely tip for the week is about leaves. You know, there's masses of them, isn't there, swilling about in the wind? But they're like gold dust if you can gather them up and rot them down into leaf mould. The best bet, if you've got space enough, is to make a bin with four posts and some chicken wire around it at about a metre cube. And then just keep stuffing the leaves in wet. They don't heat up like other garden compost. It's fungus and enzymes that rots them down. And they'll take two years or so in most cases. But boy, at the end of that period, you have some of the most beautiful crumbly leaf mould. Perfect to uh, improve soil, to mix a bit in composts and to use as a mulch. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm very pleased to introduce my guest today, Anthony Andrews. We first met oh, back in the 60s, I think, when he was managing director of Hearst, Gunson, Cooper, Tabor. And no, that's not a lot of solicitors. It, it's a combination of Essex seed firms. Have I got that right, Anthony? That's right, yes. It was all formed together in uh, 1961. And Gunson were the first electronic sorting company, weren't they? they? Yes, Gunson was the, really the holding company. Although the holding company was called Agricultural Holdings, but the actual wholesale seed company was RW Gunson Seeds Limited. And after the war, they created a machinery division which produced uh, electronic colour sources to sort discoloured peas when there was no hand labour left because it had all gone in the wartime. But how did you get into the sea trade, first of all? I mean, you were managing director when I met you, so how did yeah, you I've, start? I've, I'm, I'm a Harrow boy. I lived in, born in Harrow in Middlesex, and my parents sent me to a public school, not the Harrow School, and I abused my schooling. So at 16, father said, that's it, you've got to find a job. I'd been interested in farming, but realised there was no way I could get into farming. And one of my colleagues at school had joined a company called Cooper Tabor, which we subsequently bought, but he was no longer there. 
And our careers master found me this company, R.W. Gunson Seeds in London in the city, a wholesale seed merchant, and I joined them in 1954 as a trainee. And so what did a trainee do? I mean, you were coffee boy, were you? Well, I, was, I actually went in the... Because we were importing and exporting as well as selling in the UK, I spent my first six to nine months in the shipping office learning all about shipping, which was a good grounding because it not only taught you a lot of geography, but it taught you about the... the um, difficulties sometimes in getting seeds in and out and the documentation uh, and that that was started in May 1954 at the great sum of three pounds a week plus 12 and sixpence a week for luncheon vouchers and that brought me <laughs> a, a lunch in the Mecca restaurant for two and sixpence a two-course lunch every day. Three pound a week that's yeah. a good starting point. I paid point. a season ticket and board and lodgings to my parents. Out of that three pounds? Yep. Goodness yeah those were the days. They eh? were. Were you a national serviceman? Yes, after two years I went and did national service. Uh, I became a Brill Queen boy. I joined the RAF. And when I came out of there, I progressed to the sample room of the company because a lot of things were bought visually. You didn't, you actually had to learn what good seed looked like, the colour of seed, the different types of seed. And then from the sample room, I progressed into initially trading on the London Corn Exchange where we would buy and sell seeds. And certainly things in those days before entry into Europe and therefore there was a lot of un- seeds wasn't certified we'd buy red clover seed and we'd buy it by just looking at the sample and making a bid on the sample one but, and sixpence a pound <laughs> but I mean you would know um, the, the sources of them would you? Oh yes they were coming from, from lots of uh, UK small corn merchants who come on the market and subsequently when I progressed and the company got bigger we bought a company up in Chester called Gartens and I have one of their stock books which goes back to 1937 in copper plate writing and there's in there as many many of the little country merchants we dealt with who sadly no longer exist no because at the time that you and i first became acquainted all of those agricultural merchants were merging weren't they that's right they were merging we had one or two major groups um be created i think one group had 27 members and then those companies grew and grew and grew and then imploded and no longer no longer about I mean, there were, there were, I think, something like 20 seed companies in Essex alone when yes, I first yeah, I mean, started. In, I think in Kelvin, where we, where we then relocated to in 1961, we relocated to Witham in Essex. That was the headquarters and the huge warehouse complex. And then we had our trial grounds at Kelvin. But in Witham and Kelvin, there was at least five, if not six. Amazing. Mainly because of the climate in that area for seed growing um, which we well, then, funnily enough, history repeats itself because when I got involved in the former Eastern Germany, there was an area there which had ideal weather for sea growing in Erfurt in the Thuringia region. Well, yes, you just sort of slipped that in quietly. When did you first start trading with uh, Eastern Europe? Well, the Eastern... company, because the Gunsons was owned by three Hungarians who had come out of Hungary before the war, they had lots of Eastern European contacts. So really, straight after the war, when I joined them in 1954, they were already selling seed into Eastern Europe, which had no seed at all, and being paid in cement and other items, they were prepared to do barter. So the Eastern European connection started, you know, from the very first days, and um, subsequently built quite strongly. We, we had big connections in Hungary. We had a lot of pea seed grown in Hungary. Um, in East Germany, we had flower seed grown, and then we would import grasses in East Germany, agricultural seeds. They produced to the European quality standards, very good varieties. But how on earth would you barter? I mean, did you have some UK cement that you sort of... No, no, we bought, we had East German cement in selling English seed. 
Oh, right. Yeah, so when we sold seed, that's when we got the bartering. Oh, I see, yes. We had to take a lot of their sugar beet and fodder beet seed, which finished up, unfortunately, being sold and ground up for animal feed. It wasn't suitable, but at the time the deal was done, it was a worthwhile deal. Yeah, because you were kind enough to take me to uh, Leipzig and Dresden. That's right. The the Leipzig had a, a trade fair in the days of GDR every March and September, and you came over on one trip. And we got permission to leave Leipzig and we were driven across to Dresden to see the then breeding station, which became, of course, was the was the home of the company Elsner, PAC, which we didn't realize in those days. It was then VEB, People's Own Seed and Plant Industry, where we saw pelagoniums, and I think Kazans, which you recognized in the West. And one experience that was, if I remember correctly, we were put out into digs, there weren't hotels. And, right. and, and you took the landlady was it soap and toilet paper yes we'd, we you took things like soap and toilet paper or they actually came in with our west german agent we had a west german agent who looked after our we had a, every for the leipzig fair we had a stand for a week and i only went out for a couple of days but he would make sure they had all the modern things they couldn't get in gdr and i'd take out bio pens and calculators and things like this totally illegal of course to take into the country but it was a good revenue and we handed our passports in, I felt very uneasy about yeah. that, into the local police station overnight. That's it. Yeah. And they had to they had to have a guest book, which was, we signed a guest book, but that guest book I subsequently found was handed to the police, and the police read every visitor's comments to make sure we were <laughs> not MI5. Yeah, amazing times. It was, and if you remember on the way there, we went, did we pass through... Um, was it with you or as another gentleman? I might have been. We went through um, oh, where the famous uh, prison was. I'm trying to think. Oh, near Nossen. Um, I, no, I don't think that was me. No, but, no. but I do remember going into a um, glasshouse nursery that was really decrepit. And they were heating it with uh, a very raw peat. That's right. Uh, yeah. Well, that was the brown coal, which was locally only available in GDR. If I remember, we went to the, the Pelagonian breeding station, which was doing pelagoniums and chrysanthemums. We also went out to Mrs. Gundler, who was the um, sycamore breeder. Oh, yes, that's right. that was right. the very tumble-down thing, and they had beds, raised beds with, um, oh, cut flowers. Again, my memory's going. It's a lovely blue flower, which we have in New Zealand. Oh. But they go, no, I know what it was. It was um, amaryllis. Cut flowers. Cut flowers, yes. But the interesting thing about the East German cyclamen was that they were very tall stem, weren't they? Grown for cut flowers. They were grown for cut flowers. Yeah. Um, yes, and they reckon if you cut a cross in the bottom of the stem, it lasts 14 days in, in a, a specimen vase. Yeah. And then, of course, they produced the mini Dresden cyclamen, which was the start of the whole little mini series we see today. But they were open pollinated, whereas the modern breeding is all hybrids. Yes, all F1s. And then coming back home, uh, you were the one that introduced me to uh, uh, hunter and elka rye grasses for lawns. Yes, I remember that very clearly because it was a, a BBC Gardeners World programme, which you did, and we had the lawn plots there, which we didn't think we were going to cover, and you spotted them, and I just talked you through the fact we had a new purpose-bred perennial ryegrass, which was very dwarf and fine leaves. Up till then, we were using ryegrass, which would be used in cattle production and um, grew very strongly. And uh, this was a revolution. I think it was one of the possibly biggest breakthroughs in the last 50 years that um, turf grasses were specifically bred for turf and not being a secondary use of something which was, in the, as I say, in a hayfield. Yeah, because in my early days, if you got um, a ryegrass grass 
to sow a lawn, crumbs it was up round your ankles and even your knees before you blinked. I remember on that particular day it was very good because we had it stood out these replicated four plots of this fine-leafed ryegrass compared to the others and I remember picking some leaves and putting on a black book that showed you the difference and it was chalk and cheese. Yeah, amazing. And then of course you had the great Ralph Gould, didn't you, breeding flowers. Oh yes, we had dear old Ralph, our wonderful flower breeder who passed away in when he was in his late 70s but I mean I think when he retired finally he, we had about 150 varieties selected by Ralph in commerce and some are still there today. Most of them were open pollinated um, and therefore they did need strong maintenance and sadly as the years have gone on except for one or two companies the maintenance is not so strong and the thing you buy today doesn't really look like the original. And if you see the word Calverton or Monarch then very often that's one of uh, Ralph's introductions. Yes, well, that, that went through both in flowers and veg, and I suppose the best-known veg would be Kelvin and Wonder Pea. Yeah. I remember his wife, Molly, saying when they were newly married, he made uh, a really cross, because when uh, he got undressed, he would hang his trousers up and all the seed would come flying out of the turnips. <laughs> <laughs> They must have done it every night by the sound of things. Yes, I have to say, in the days of turnips on trails, it would be quite interesting to plant what comes out your turnips. <laughs> well, it would with Ralph, walk, <laughs> you know, walking and checking all those yes, things. Yes. I mean, that's how he found the red nigella, wasn't it? Just oh, one yes. plant. That was one plant, just crop inspecting an acre, following a thunderstorm, and he just happened to walk into the field at that point and see this pink bud whipped the plant out and back to the nursery, and that was the start of the uh, Persian rose nigella. Yeah, and all the red nigellas we have, pink and red and yeah. different colours, came from that one plant right, found yeah. by Ralph. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then more recently, once you retired from the uh, Hurstguns and Cooper Tabor and, and their subsequent owners, you've worked for two German companies, haven't you? Yes, having uh, the wall having come down in 1989, I parted company with the then new owners of um, Hearst who had, who'd gone into a sort of multinational company and they were then looking to sell it. I thought, well, I would start to help people export to Eastern Europe where I'd have some connections. It, it turned out the other way. I helped two former families businesses in former East Germany who were not communists, who got their businesses back, helped them re-establish their business in the UK and for one of them also in the States and Canada. And people will know, particularly some of the PAC, Pelagonium breeding, isn't the one that's your namesake that's doing rather well? Yes, I'm very honoured that they named one a... a, a Scarlet is still the most popular variety in regal in uh, zonal pelagoniums, and um, they named one. They said, "Could they call it Anthony?" And it's still their bestseller. What they didn't realise the year they named it Anthony was exactly 50 years of me being in the industry, which I kept quiet about. <laughs> the secret's out now, hey. <laughs> I mean, I I love the story uh, that um, the late Mr. Elsner used to tell about the the pelagonium elka. Yes. He got his daughter, I think, wasn't it, just crossing what That's she right. thought was an impossible cross. And yep. he said, just stick at it, stick at it. And after some years, got one seed, which produced that beautiful, variegated, very free-flowering ivy-leaf geranium. Yes, it was, it was a sterile variety, so it shouldn't produce seed. But uh, he, that was a story. I remember him telling you that. It was an interesting story. He was a wonderful man. He was the third generation of Willem Elsner's. And, uh, was he third generation? Yes, he was William Elsner III. Right. Um, was in the war in, in uh, the desert as a sergeant driving one of the generals, not Rommel. The German general realised that they were going to be overrun. 
and said you'll be treated better as an officer, made him a lieutenant that night, and the next day he was captured and spent the rest of the war in America teaching the Americans German. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was his wartime history. And it's rather nice because up here we've got... Um, Elsner did supply, we now it is our local village, we, we put plants outside the hangar of the famous Battle of Britain Memorial Flight, and there's 75 tubs each with an Anthony in it. And uh, when that started, because Mr. Elsner was available, and we... We took the uh, crew who were demonstrating in Berlin, and we took them down to Dresden, and they presented him with one of only 250 ever-minted coins of the BBMF. And he said, you know, it was rather interesting meeting the young pilots of today, meeting a aged German who was across the other side of the war, but friendship through flowers. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah. That is one common interest, isn't it? Oh, yes. That crosses all religions and all politics, the love of growing things. Oh, yes, I said that. Seeds and plants have no no uh, political or geographical boundaries. And now you're working with your local school. That's what we like, people yes. with experience. Yes, we, we, I do the garden club every Friday, and we've been very happy. We've supplied you two years running plants to add to your Chelsea show, and we're happy to continue to do that. I mean, they were grown on the windowsill of Class 4, much the uh, concern of the, mate, the teacher in there, but we got them. <laughs> And no, well, we, we should name the school. Anthony. Yes, it's Edenham Church of England Primary School, which is near Bourne in Lincolnshire. Yeah. We're only a school of 107 children, but we have most enthusiastic gardeners. In fact, um, I do the gardening club there, helped by the head gardener from Grimsthorpe Castle. And it's difficult to curb the enthusiasm when you say, would somebody please go and get the wheelbarrow? 14 people rush to get the wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep up the good work, and, and I'm, I'm hoping to hear shortly that we have space at Chelsea, and so we'll be worrying you again. Anthony, thank you very much for sparing time with us today. What's on? Well, the garden show season's coming to an end, but we still have commercial trade exhibitions. Uh, for example, Grow Show South on the Roundstone Nurseries near Chichester will be held this week. And I go there both to uh, see and speak to the exhibitors, but more important, go out onto uh, several nurseries in that area. It's my chance to just check on uh, what poinsettias are looking like and if there's any uh, people connected to schools listening, watch out because uh, in a week or two, We'll be running again our free poinsettias for schools. I was interested to hear on my garden centre travels that Christmas goods sales are soaring. They're almost double in the latter part of October. And one of the really good sellers apparently is called Pass the Parcel Brussels Sprout. Apparently uh, the Pass the Parcel Brussels Sprout is made of tissue crepe paper and guests take turns to unwrap this sprout as they pass it round the Christmas dinner table, uh, and each layer has something in it. It may reveal a novelty gift, a hat, or a forfeit. Don't like the sound of that very much. I'd need several glasses of wine, I think, before I got caught up with forfeits from a sprout. Thanks again to our sponsors, Sutton Seeds of Torquay, and thanks to you for listening. Enjoy your garden. We'll be back next Thursday. Discover more at sungardening.co.uk
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 